A very good morning to you. Gather yourselves. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we attempt to lead this church. I, I have to apologize. I've got a bit of a cold. And so, um, yeah, I know, that's like, I know. Uh, so I'm using this mic in case I sneeze. <laughs> So apologies for um, sniffs and croaks and those sorts of things. But enough about me. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke's Gospel. If you were here last week, we began a new series. And really what we were doing is we're looking at some of the ways that Jesus came to redeem and to transform our whole lives. And how that includes our emotions. And we began last week by looking at the problem of pain. And in particular, we were looking at the contrast between how we tend to deal with challenge, how we tend to deal with pain, which, if you're anything like me, is generally about detachment, it's about denial, it's about distraction. That's how I tend to handle challenge and pain. And we were contrasting that with how Jesus might have us deal with it all. And this morning, I want us to think a little bit more about that and, and what that might look like for us practically. And what I mean by that is how might we deal with pain? How might we deal with challenge when these things come our way? And how can we learn from the life of Jesus and how by looking at the life of Jesus can that help us. So let's start in Luke chapter 4, but before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here in this room. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that they're living and active. We ask, Lord, that in and through your Holy Spirit, you would minister the truth of the Scripture to us. That the name of Jesus may be glorified and lifted up in our midst here this morning and in and through our lives. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for uh, 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Has it ever struck you as slightly odd, that sort of beginning of uh, Luke chapter 4, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness? He was taken into the wilderness by the Spirit. And we've talked about this before, but this word wilderness in the Greek uh, is sometimes translated as desert, but don't, you know, don't think like hot and sandy. Don't think kind of like a beach in any way, shape, or form. Um, effectively and essentially, the, the point is, is that the wilderness is an empty place. It's a barren, deserted wasteland. There's no one else there. Uh, some of the translations have it as a lonely place. Some translations have it as an isolated place or a deserted place. Uh, quite often, especially in Luke, it's described as a solitary place. 
Uh, and this is the place, interestingly, where Jesus has been led by the Holy Spirit. We kind of look at that and we say, why would the Holy Spirit take Jesus to a solitary place? Why would he take him to an isolated place? Why would he take him into the wilderness, into a desert? Uh, well, part of it is because this is where Jesus was to encounter Satan. And as part of his calling from God, Jesus was to succeed in his battle against Satan. Where Adam and Eve, Eve had failed in the Garden of Eden, where every human being ever since has failed, Jesus was to succeed. But as well as, the, as that, when we look at this whole place, uh, many of us tend to look at this, and we read this section from Luke, and we see this place that Jesus is in, where the Spirit of God has led him. And we see it as actually as a place of weakness. We see it as a place of vulnerability. And here's Jesus. He's all alone. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's got no one to talk to. You know, there's an extrovert's nightmare. Um, he's in the desert. And we read this, and sometimes we just think, you know, he's in this brutal place. He's, he's exposed. He's at his very weakest. He's at his lowest. He's at his most vulnerable. And of course, that's when the devil comes along to tempt him and to taunt him. But what if this solitary place, what if this place of being alone wasn't a place of weakness? What actually if this desert place was a place of strength? What if uh, the very vulnerability that Jesus is probably feeling isn't actually weakness? What if it's strength? Now, for me, uh, if you know me at all, none of that makes any sense at all. Do you see, the concept of that is, is anathema to me. I'm, uh, if you know me at all, I'm, I'm not one of those people who really do vulnerability. I don't get vulnerability. Like, why would you willingly show people your weakness? Because um, that's what I see vulnerability as. Um, that's not really where I come from. It's not what I do. But what if I'm wrong? What if we're wrong? Uh, speaking of the wilderness being a place of strength, uh, Dallas Willard, theologian, he said this, most of whom I have spoken about this matter are shocked at the suggestion that the wilderness, the place of solitude and deprivation, was actually the place of strength and strengthening for our Lord, and that the Spirit led him there as he would lead us there to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for the trial. In that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month. Then, and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposal of bread, notoriety, and power. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. And throughout his life, Jesus sought the solitary place. And if you read through the Gospels, you see that Dallas Willard is right. Throughout his life, Jesus seeks out intentionally the solitary place on a regular basis. We read about Jesus getting away to a quiet place. He slips out in the middle of the night or whenever it is, but he goes off regularly to find a solitary place. If you skip down to the end of chapter 4, Let's have a look at that. Most of chapter 4 is actually about one brutally long day. 
in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. In the morning, he's preaching and he's teaching in the synagogues. In the afternoon, he's at Simon's house and he's healing Simon's mother-in-law, as you do. Then at night, in chapter 8, in verse 40, we read this. At sunset, so he's already been doing all of this stuff all day. Sunset now, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So this is a day in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing the sick and he's casting out demons. He's like having a pretty busy day. This is full on day. And then in verse 42, we read this. At daybreak, if you read... Mark's gospel version of this, it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, what did Jesus do? Jesus went out to a solitary place. So, after this full-on day, Jesus has been doing like, all these amazing things, he's been teaching all this awesome stuff, um, Jesus chooses to take himself off into the wilderness. Jesus chooses to go voluntarily into the desert because that solitary place, it's the same word that we see in the beginning of Luke chapter uh, 4. Go on at verse 42. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's had this brutally long day, like, doing kingdom stuff. Uh, he's most likely up until the early hours of the morning. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's doing his thing. And then he gets up really early in the morning, like, really early. It's, like, before it gets light, and we're in the Middle East, and so it gets light really early. And so he goes out, and he goes for a walk on his own, and he takes himself to a solitary place in the quiet, and as we see from Mark's version, he spends time in the presence of his heavenly father. And I look at that, and I think that's interesting, because it's really not what I would do at all. You know, if I had spent a day leading people to Jesus and preaching and teaching awesome and amazing and life-changing stuff and casting out demons, um, I would, the next day, like have a really long lie-in. Like I would have just, I'd spend the next day in bed. Because I'd earned it. I've earned the right. I've been doing amazing stuff. Now I need to just sleep and veg out and watch Netflix and just hang around the house doing nothing, basically. And then eventually, maybe when I got up about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, what I would do is I would go out, and then I would spend my time telling everybody about the awesome day that I'd had the day before and had they heard about how awesome my day had been. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this whole scene um, from the life of Jesus is how he comes back from that solitary place with the Father. So he goes off, he does all this stuff, and then he goes off and retreats to the solitary place, and then he comes back. And it's the how he comes back that I think is interesting. I think he comes back from this solitary place with four things. And the first thing is clarity. So he comes back with this real sense of clarity about what he's supposed to do. Verse 43, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that's why I was sent. So Jesus, he spends time alone in the quiet, and then he comes back with a clearer sense of who he is and what he's supposed to do. 
Second thing that he comes back with is the ability to say no. If you look at it, Jesus actually says no to some really good things. Uh, Verse 42, the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Um, By the time Jesus comes back from being alone with God, all the people are coming to him, and basically what they're doing is they're saying, stay, stay here. Like, we need you. Look at all the stuff that you're doing. Like, God needs you here because you're healing all these people and casting out all of these demons. Look at all the amazing stuff that is going on right here. Stay. Why would you go? That's madness. And the truth is, on paper, this looks like a really good opportunity for Jesus. But Jesus says, "Mm, no, I'm okay. And that's because Jesus is very well aware of the fact that the enemy of God's best for you is something very, very good. He's well aware of the fact that life is short and fleeting and that we can only say yes to a finite list of things. Most of all, I think Jesus is aware of the danger of busyness. Dallas Willard again says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. For most of us, we're like, yeah, you don't know what my life is like. This is like an alien concept. We're always in a rush. We're always in a hurry. We're pushed and pulled from pillar to post. We're rushing to get to work. We're rushing to get home to be with our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our spouse or whatever. You know, we're rushing in the morning to get to church before it all starts, you know, because we don't want to miss anything out. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Excuse me. If you've got young children, how often do you find yourself at home just going, hurry up. Like, hurry up, wear your shoes, find your shoes. Like, we need to go, we need to get out of here. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, let's go. Which is why, for you guys, it's almost impossible that you ever arrive anywhere on time. It's a miracle that you get anywhere at all. But we never see Jesus in a hurry. And we say, well, you know, he lived in the first century. I mean, what can there have been to do? Well, um, you look at his life. His life was packed. It was full. But we never see Jesus in a rush. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because of his ability to say no to stuff. Anyway, we see Jesus, and he comes out of the solitary place with this clarity about what he's supposed to do and an ability to say no. And then we see that he's immersed in God's presence. That's the third thing. He's immersed in God's presence. Over and over again, we just see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived in saturation um, in God's presence. He swam in God's presence all day long. And how did he do that? Well, I think he did that because uh, he retreated into the solitary place. And then finally, he comes out of the solitary place empowered for kingdom work. Uh, Verse 44, he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so after a pretty hard going, this long and exhausting day, Jesus goes into the solitary place, and he's, I, I imagine maybe he's tired, maybe he's a bit stressed, maybe he's like feeling the weight of all of the responsibility that's on him, but he comes out of that place with a clarity about what he's been called to do, with this ability to say no. He's immersed in God's presence and he's empowered for kingdom work. Now, a lot of us, myself included, find ourselves at the very opposite end of that spectrum. Instead of us having any clarity about what we're supposed to be doing, most of us are just confused most of the time. You know, we're all over the place. It's like, well, who am I again? And what's my calling? And what am I supposed to be doing? And I have no clue. 
I have no clarity about what God is calling me to do. And then the second thing is instead of having the ability to say no to things, we tend to say yes to way too much stuff. And so uh, I'm like, somebody will ask me something and I'll be like, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, I'm your man. No worries. Absolutely. <sighs> and some of that might be really good stuff. Um, we're also saying yes to a whole lot of stuff that is actually just really rubbish. Um, and so we find ourselves saying to ourselves, you know, given the hours that I've spent on the PlayStation by now, I really should have a few more skills, especially given that like 10,000 hours thing. You know, by 10,000 hours, you're supposed to be able to be a concert pianist. Well, I spent more than 10,000 hours on the PlayStation. I really ought to be better than I am. You know, or we're saying yes to another season of whatever it is that you're watching and binge watching on Netflix right now. Then instead, the third thing, just instead of feeling like we're immersed in God's presence, actually, if we think about our days and our day, the minutes of our day and the hours of our day, actually so much of our day and so much of our lives, we feel disconnected from God. And God feels like he's far away and he feels more like a concept and an idea than a living person. And then instead of feeling empowered for kingdom ministry, the reality is like I'm far too stressed out, I'm far too on edge, I'm running on empty all the time, I'm far too grouchy and grumpy to even notice any kingdom opportunities around me and to see what the Father's doing. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we're not spending enough time in the solitary place. Maybe we're not spending enough time being quiet and still and seeking out solitude and seeking out silence. Blaise Pascal said, all mankind's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Are we taking time to slow down and to be quiet and to be still just for long enough to look beneath the surface, to look for long enough beneath the surface of our lives and to ask God what's actually going on. And the truth is, I mean, I don't know what you're like personality-wise, but for me, I don't, really, I don't really crave the idea of silence and solitude. It's like, really? Um, introverts, you might be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Extroverts, like, oh, hell on earth. Um, we may not uh, really relish the idea of being still in the presence of God. I'm a fidget, and still is hard work. Uh, we may not relish the idea of being alone with our feelings and our emotions and with our pain, because we want to distract that, like, ourselves as much as we possibly can from that, so why would we focus in on it? Um, but... We may not crave the idea, but we probably most likely all crave what comes out of it. So we know and we, we, we understand that we actually crave for clarity about what God's calling us to do. We long for that clarity. It's like, I really want to know who I am and what God's called me to. Um, we long for the ability to say no to the right things. We long for... Um, that sense of feeling like we're immersed in God's presence. And we want to be equipped and empowered to do what God has called us to do. And so these are all things that we need. Um, but more importantly, they're actually things that we really deep down long for. And it's called 
life with God. And in some ways, it would be easy to end here. It's all fairly straightforward. Jesus, you know, Jesus loves a bit of silence and solitude, and we can see that he did it, and we can see how he did it, and probably that we need it. And if we're honest, we probably really want it. Great, job done, let's pray. We'll all leave here uh, ready and willing to put all of this into practice. This week and our lives will be forever changed. It's what happens every single week. Uh, however, um, unfortunately for you, we're not quite done. Uh, I think we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper because we need to carve out the time and the space. Um, and in the presence of our Heavenly Father, we do need to look at what's going on in our hearts. Um, we need to recognize that our lives are actually sort of like an iceberg. Um, and the vast majority of who we really are is lying beneath the surface. And we need to take a long, hard look at our hearts and ask What's going on that Jesus is wanting to change and transform? We need to create enough space whereby we can invite God to make us aware of what's going on under the surface and then invite him to transform and change all of those things that are hindering us from becoming more like Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, um, we can all do the spiritual disciplines every day. We can read our Bibles faithfully morning by morning. We can pray three times a day. We can fast three times a week. The Pharisees did all of that and more. You know, we can all do all of that. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be doing all of that and more, okay? So, um, but we can do those things and yet never look beneath the surface into what's really going on in our hearts, and we can all fall into that trap. Maybe it's because we're oblivious about what's going on in our hearts and our lives. Maybe it's because we're terrified about what we might find. And so we run away from whatever is churning around down deep under layer and layer of life. Um, but how do we do it? Well, again, Jesus is our guide. And I just want to go back to where we started last week in Matthew chapter 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Matthew 26, verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And here we see Jesus again going and taking himself off to a solitary place, and this time it's the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. And I don't know, but maybe he's exhausted from the events of the day. Maybe he's desperate to get away from the noise of the city. Uh, maybe he just wants to be alone. Maybe he's feeling alone. Maybe he's uh, feeling afraid. But Jesus wants to be in the presence of his Father, and he wants to do that in the quiet and in the stillness. And as he gets there, he becomes sorrowful and deeply troubled. But you see how Jesus is not only aware of um, how he's feeling. You know, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus knows why he is feeling the way he's feeling. So he says, may, you know, may this cup be taken away from me. You see, Jesus knows that he's days from death and he's dreading it. So he knows how he's feeling and he knows why he's feeling the way he is. And so for Jesus, 
These times of getting away into silence and solitude, of going into the wilderness, of going into the solitary place, whether that's for 40 days, as we see from the beginning of Luke, or from a few hours, as we see at the end of Luke, or whether it's just slipping into what is effectively a local park here in Gethsemane, these times of silence and solitude, these times for Jesus weren't just a time to read the Bible or to pray, although that is part of it. For Jesus, these were times to be in the presence of his loving Father, to take a look beneath the surface and to see what's going on, to get in touch with both uh, what he was feeling, to think about what he's doing, and then to ask the question of why he might be feeling that or why he might be doing that, and to bring it all into his father's presence. And so in Jesus, we see this example of what it means to look beneath the surface. And the first thing is this awareness that he has of how he's feeling. Uh, so Jesus, in the same, uh, says, uh, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And so we need to learn, we need to think about what we're feeling. And so we need to take time in the solitary place, in the presence of our father, and say, okay, What's been going on? How am I feeling right now? How, am I, how have I been feeling this week? I, I'm actually feeling really stressed. Or I'm, I've been feeling really low this week. Or I'm, I'm feeling really on edge with all of my flatmates and, or with my spouse or with my kids or whoever it is. Um, for me, this week, I've felt uh, really overwhelmed with like a whole lot of stuff. I felt really out of just sorts, just sort of off kilter. And because I'm fairly dense and slow off the mark uh, and hadn't really prepared the sermon yet, um, it was only as I slowed down for long enough to get into the presence of God, to still and quieten my heart and my mind for long enough, that I began to really understand what was actually going on. Up until that point, I was just grouchy. So that's the first thing. Let's take time in whatever quiet space we can get to just to get in touch with how we are feeling. But it's not just an awareness of how we're feeling. We also need to engage with what we're doing or what we have been doing. So for me, again, this week, it was only as I just slowed down for long enough to think of it, I reflected back on this week and I realized that I've been working like flat out, like for me, right? I'm not making that sound like, but for me, it's, I've just been cramming every single minute and every single moment with another opportunity to do work. And it was only as I got to the end of the week and started to slow down, I thought, um, well, maybe, maybe I'm trying to avoid something, uh, which is true. Maybe for you, it's, um, you're, you're at the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you just sit down and say, what have you been doing? Well, it's actually, I've been doing nothing. I haven't, I've been putting everything off. I, I'm avoiding doing anything and everything. Uh, maybe it's for you, as you look back on what you've been doing, you say, well, I, I've just literally binge-watched 100,000 episodes of something or other. Anyway, we just need to take time in the solitary place to ask ourselves these questions in the presence of our Heavenly Father, what am I feeling and what have I been doing? And then the really important part is we need to ask ourselves the why. And this is the bit that many of us don't get to. Um, for me, again, I can, I can very easily be aware of the fact that I'm really grumpy uh, or that I'm uh, really short-tempered or that I'm even more sarcastic than I usually am. But rarely do I ask myself the question, why 
any of that might be. Rarely do I have the courage to look beneath the surface. And so usually um, I go, huh, that's interesting. Oh, well, they'll get over it. And I move on. But we need to take time in the solitary place, in the choir, in the solitude, in the presence of our Father to simply ask the why questions. Um, I'm feeling really stressed right now. Like, why might that be? I'm really edgy. I wonder what's going on in my heart. I've been even more sarcastic than usual lately. What's that about? And there's a healthy maturity to asking the question of, I wonder what's going on. Um, why am I so angry at my spouse over something so stupid? Why am I so aggressive to the people um, I work with? Why do I feel so much anger and frustration with the guys that I live with, but I just can't express it? Why do I feel so apathetic all the time and I just can't be bothered to do anything? Why am I avoiding this, this, and this? Why do I care so much about what this person thinks of me? Why am I so critical? Why do I work so long and so hard? Um, why do I feel like I need to succeed all the, t all the time? And maybe, if this fits, maybe you need to ask yourself, um, why do I spend all day lying in bed and doing nothing but playing on the PlayStation and even though I'm 30, living like a student? So often we don't do this. We don't ask the why question. And, and I get it. I mean, part of the reason that we don't ask the why question is because we're too busy. We're too busy to ask the question. We don't have time uh, when we can get quiet and be alone and we can fix our eyes on Jesus and invite the Spirit of God to come. Part of it's that. And part of it's because uh, I think we're afraid to ask the why question. We're afraid, if anything like me, to look beneath the surface because sometimes um, we know that we're just not going to like what we find down there. And that's why many of us just don't do the hard work of looking at what's going on in our hearts until the emotional pain is so big that it's screaming so loudly at us that we have to do something about it so that we can be changed. And by the way, just as a tip, that's not the healthiest way to go about this kind of thing. C.S. Lewis um, called pain God's megaphone to a deaf world. And what that means is that pain, and that includes emotional pain, is one of the ways that God is trying to get our attention and say, uh, maybe there's something going on in your life that isn't quite right. Maybe there's something in your life that needs to change. And as he challenges us that, with that, he also accompanies it with an invitation that we find in Matthew 11, which is, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most of us just kind of hope that our emotions and our feelings are going to get themselves sorted. We don't want to be sad. We want to be happy. We don't want to feel anxious. We want to feel peace. We don't want to feel miserable. We want to feel joy. But most of us really don't want to sit in and with our feelings and sit in our pain. There's an invitation uh, coming from the Holy Spirit to come away with him. The Holy Spirit is saying, come away with me. Come away with me to a quiet place so that we can listen to what these things are saying about 
our lives and so that we can learn from them and we can invite Jesus to come and change the way that we live. There's something at the root of all of our emotions that Jesus wants to get to the um, heart of. That's what God is after. And it can be challenging to make the time and space to get away to a quiet place. You know, even if that's sitting in your living room for half an hour uh, early in the morning before your flatmates get up, it's challenging to clear out all of the noise and the chatter and the distraction and the addiction and the Netflix and then, 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 and to put it all to one side so that we can listen um, first and foremostly to God, because that's the starting place, but to listen to what you're feeling to look at what you've been doing, to open up your heart and to open up your life to your heavenly Father. Because um, this space, this place, this wilderness, this desert, is the place of an incredible encounter with the love of God. Go back to the garden. Jesus, in the thick of his emotional pain and his trauma and his fear and his sorrow, calls God what? My Father, my Father, that's who we encounter in the solitary place. That's who meets us in our wilderness, God, our Father. And it's like the scene from uh, the prodigal son in Luke 15. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Our Heavenly Father is waiting for us in the solitary place. He is waiting, filled with compassion. He is running towards us. He is embracing us and healing our brokenness with his kiss. And no matter what's down there, no matter what's hiding below the surface of your life, whatever you're scared to bring before God, whatever you may even be scared to admit to yourself, whatever your secret is, first and foremost, it's an opportunity for intimacy with God. It's an invitation for us to bury ourselves in our Father's embrace, just to receive his love for us all over again. Does that make sense? Not politely. Why don't you stand?